The following is an audio recording of the 2013 IBS Winter Symposium featuring Professor Takamato Shigaraki, Tradition and Insight, Our Encounter with the Pure Land Way, recorded on Thursday, February 28, 2013, at the PCA National Council in San Mateo, California. Part 2 of 3 is a discussion by Reverend Henry Adams. So I was uh, deeply humbled to receive an invitation to participate in this symposium with Dr. Takamaro Shigaraki and Dr. Michael Conway. Dr. Shigaraki is certainly uh, one of the most influential Jodo Shinshu Buddhist thinkers of our time. Uh, Dr. Conway's familiarity with our Shin Buddhist scriptures, as we saw in his presentation just now, uh, both in the original and Chinese, so he can you know, read the Kanbun and the um, classical Japanese, really make him one of the leading voices, I think, in the uh, upcoming generation of Jodo Shinshu Buddhist thinkers. So when Reverend Matsumoto asked me to participate on this panel, my initial reaction was, now what place would I have on a panel with these two uh, really kind of heavyweight scholars. And uh, so myself, after college, I spent uh, two years in uh, a Buddhist studies PhD program at the University of Michigan. I really appreciate, by the way, the way uh, Matsumoto-sensei kind of glossed that over by calling it my graduate work. Um, <laughs> but I did, uh, I, I did do two years in grad school and then left uh, with a, a master's degree. And during my time at Michigan, it became abundantly clear to me that I have neither the intellectual orientation nor the passion for scholarly research to really uh, pursue a career in the academic study of Buddhism. Um, however, since my first encounter with Buddhism as a high school student on an exchange program in India, uh, I've been inspired by how the teachings I encounter in the sutras really uh, speak to my everyday life with uh, deep wisdom and compassion. I treasure the wonderful contribution that scholars have made to my understanding of Buddhism through their critical investigation of its history, scriptures, and ideas. Uh, at the same time, I recognize that my path as a minister is to study and reflect on the teachings while always considering a couple of questions. Uh, one being, what does this mean in the context of my daily life and the daily life of the people that I serve? And what guidance does this teaching provide for understanding the situations that arise, arise in my life of work, family, and school, and uh, those of the temple members that I serve? So Professor Matsumoto convinced me to join this panel uh, by explaining that my role would be to present a traditional Nishihonganji perspective on Shinran's teachings in a way that is understandable and compelling for a uh, general audience, including both ministers and uh, lay people. Um, and please allow me to admit right now that I have very little confidence in my ability to actually do that effectively. Um, Nevertheless, when I became a minister, uh, I made a solemn commitment not to shy away from any opportunity to share my appreciation of the Dharma in simple and straightforward terms. And so for this reason, I felt that it was my obligation to uh, give it my best shot. So uh, the theme of our symposium today is tradition and insight. And we are considering the relationship between traditional Jodo Shinshu Buddhist understandings and practices that have been passed down over the centuries, and the personal insights that we receive from encountering the truth of those teachings in our own lives. 
Uh, many of us feel that tradition must constantly be reevaluated and critically examined in light of our personal experiences and personal insights. For my part, uh, I don't experience any tension between traditional tr uh, religious tradition and personal insight. As my appreciation of the Nembutsu deepens, reflecting on the traditional interpretation of the teachings gives rise to personal insight by challenging my comfortable and often self-serving ways of thinking. Recognizing the truth of traditional teachings through my own experience undermines the delusion that there is no greater depth to the teachings than what I have already come to understand. The Buddhist Churches of America, which um, you know, we're here uh, as a part of the annual gathering of, belongs to the Nishi Honganji School of Jodo Shinshu Buddhism, which has a robust institutional structure for maintaining doctrinal orthodoxy. Standard doctrinal interpretations are formally established in a collection of teachings called Anji Nondai, which have been codified over several centuries in response to controversies about the correct way to interpret Shinran's teachings. Disputes on matters of doctrinal orthodoxy are arbitrated by a small committee of senior Nishihonganji scholar priests called the Kangakuryo. Now here in North America, where religious freedom uh, and freedom of thought and expression is deeply ingrained in our cultural DNA, many of us bristle at the idea of authority figures telling us uh, what it's okay to believe and what it's okay to think about our religious teachings. In my experience, this is particularly true of Americans who are drawn to Jodo Shinshu Buddhism. I've only been a minister in the BCA for three years, but in that time I have met very few people who showed any enthusiasm for being part of a religious movement that includes accusations of heresy and the threat of being called before an inquisition for holding unorthodox views. To the contrary, many people who find their Sangha refuge in our BCA temples appreciate the egalitarian flavor of Jodo Shinshu which in some cases this is a contrast from their previous experiences in Buddhist groups where they encountered a hierarchical culture with great authority held by teachers and senior students. While I share that healthy skepticism of religious authority, in my experience, taking traditional interpretations of the teachings seriously can provide real inspiration for spiritual growth. The basic goal of Buddhist practice is to see through the illusory nature of egocentric thinking. In other words, Buddhism helps us to get over our attachment to the ideas of me and mine. When I was a ministerial student at the Chuobukyo Gakuin Buddhist Seminary in Kyoto, the instructor who taught our course on Honganji Doctrinal Orthodoxy, or Anjin Dondai, explained to us that the purpose of Anjin Dondai is not to support institutional authority. Rather, the purpose of Anjin Dondai is to thoroughly negate the working of my calculating mind. So from this perspective, I take the traditional Honganji doctrinal teachings as a precious mirror that helps me recognize my calculating and egocentric mind at work. Understood in this way, traditional doctrinal perspectives have provided me with wonderful support on my own journey to a deeper appreciation of the Nembutsu. 
In this talk, I will present a teaching that many consider to be the epitome of traditional Honganji orthodoxy and show how the ideas expressed therein, if taken in the right spirit, can serve as a valuable support and guide for spiritual transformation on the Nembutsu path. Now you're probably wondering what I mean by taking this teaching, quote unquote, in the right spirit. I'm certainly not advocating unquestioning obedience to the authority of our religious leaders. Sorry, Socho. Instead, I propose that we allow ourselves to set aside the idea that the modern scientific worldview holds the only legitimate standard of truth and open our minds to the possibilities and wisdom expressed in our ancient teachings. In my view, keeping an open mind to traditional interpretations is necessary not because it has been approved by Nishi Honganji and the scholar priests of the Kangaku Committee, but because these traditional interpretations themselves express the profound religious meaning of the Nembutsu path to awakening as it has been passed down over the centuries since the time of Shindan Shonin. I believe that by opening our minds to the possibilities expressed in a traditional understanding, we can discover timeless insights that are proven to be of continuing relevance to the daily life of Nembutsu practicers for the past 800 years and more. For modern Shin Buddhists, perhaps the most difficult Nishi Honganji doctrinal position to accept is the teaching that I am bound to dwell in this defiled world of delusion throughout this lifetime and that my realization of perfect awakening through birth in the Pure Land will only come about at the moment of death. Put simply, the traditional Nishi Honganji position is that birth in the Pure Land and Buddhist enlightenment cannot be realized by ordinary beings like me in this world or this present life. My direct experience of the Pure Land will only occur after I die. Through faith or entrusting in Amida Buddha's vows to liberate all beings, the great benefit that I receive in this life is assurance of birth in the Pure Land when I die. Living with the peace of mind that comes from the assurance of birth in the Pure Land is often called dwelling in the stage of the truly settled. There is a basic framework in the Jodo Shinshu Buddhist tradition that contrasts this shore and the other shore. This shore is the world of samsara, a defiled land of delusion characterized by greed, anger, and ignorance, or gas, G-A-S, greed, anger, and stupidity. <laughs> this world of samsara is frequently described as a burning house. Once we realize that the house is on fire, we earnestly look for a way out. However, the sutras point out that many people don't even realize that the house we're living in is burning down at this very moment. The other shore is the state of nirvana. Nirvana means to blow out the flame of base passions and cross over the sea of delusion to realize the enlightenment of Buddhahood. This is the realm of the Buddha's enlightenment. Citing the teachings of the, three, the threefold Pure Land Sutras, Shinran describes the attainment of nirvana as being born in Amida Buddha's Pure Land of utmost peace and bliss. According to the standard Nishi Honganji interpretation of Shinran's teachings, I receive the benefit of the stage of the truly settled 
an insurance of my future birth in the pure land in this world, the Saha world, and in my present life, this, this present lifetime, this present birth. So the benefit I get in this life is the assurance of birth in the pure land. The benefit of nirvana, or Buddhahood, is realized with my coming birth in the next life, in the other world, or the realm of peace and bliss. These two benefits are clearly distinguished from each other so that not even a portion of nirvana can be realized in this life and in this world. The Jodo Shinshu tradition teaches that I receive birth in the pure land through Shinjin, the entrusting heart, or faith in the power of Amida Buddha's vow to bring about my birth in the pure land. I know that's what it says. Oh, it says my awakening. <laughs> To receive birth in the pure land through the other power, Nembutsu, is in itself to realize Buddhahood. So receiving birth in the pure land and realizing Buddhahood are one in the same. In his writings, Shindan refers to those in the stage of the truly settled as those assured of birth in the pure land. Those who dwell in the stage of the truly settled will definitely realize Nirvana. In the sacred scriptures of the pure land tradition, the process of spiritual transformation is often described as boarding the ship of Amida Buddha's vow and crossing the ocean of birth and death, or samsara. In modern day travel, we're more likely to cross the ocean in an airplane than on a ship. For example, in two months, my wife, our toddling son, and I will be traveling by airplane to the island of Tsushima in Japan to visit my in-laws. While we are staying with my wife's family, we will get to enjoy the best sashimi in the world, which is fish caught in the Tsushima Strait by one of my wife's cousins and prepared that very same day by my mother-in-law. Usually the fish is still moving when they bring it into the kitchen, so it's fresh. Uh, having boarded the plane in Fukuoka, we are carried all the way to our destination in Tsushima without any effort on our own part. On the plane, we simply relax and enjoy the journey. We don't get up and go out on the wing to work on it to keep the plane up in the air. We don't go into the cockpit to try to steer the plane to Tsushima. We just sit in our seats, we ride, and we enjoy the journey. When we board the plane, our destination in Tsushima is settled, but it is not until we actually arrive there that we will get to enjoy that sashimi. When I receive Shinjin, or the entrusting heart, I board the ship of the primal vow that will carry me across the ocean of birth and death. It is at the moment of death that I will arrive at the other shore, the pure land, and realize nirvana. Because the cause for my future birth in the pure land and realization of Buddhahood is completely settled in this life. When this physical body of mine that binds me to the world of delusion comes to its end at the moment of my biological death, I will immediately be born in the Pure Land and realize Buddhahood. In what follows, I will introduce selected passages from the writings of Shinnan and Nenyo uh, that are commonly cited as evidence for this traditional Nishihonganji view and provide uh, brief explanations of the way in which they're traditionally interpreted. I do not claim that this traditional understanding is the only correct way to read these passages. I also recognize that there are other passages in the collected works of Shinran 
that are cited to support different interpretations. My objective is to explain in clear English the standard Nishi Honganji interpretation and show how this traditional teaching can be a source of personal insight and appreciation of Pure Land Buddhist teachings in daily life. So what are the benefits that are received in this life by those who realize a heart of entrusting in Amida Buddha? The first passage I will share comes from the chapter on Shinjin from the True Teaching Practice and Realization. It describes the 10 benefits in this life that we get when we receive Shinjin. Shinran writes, when we realize the diamond-like true mind, we transcend crosswise the paths of the five courses and eight hindered existences and unfailingly gain 10 benefits in the present life. What are these 10? One, the benefit of being protected and sustained by unseen powers. Two, the benefit of being possessed of supreme virtues. Three, the benefit of our karmic evil being transformed into good. Four, the benefit of being protected and cared for by all the Buddhas. Five, the benefit of being praised by all the Buddhas. Six, the benefit of being constantly protected by the light of the Buddha's heart. Seven, the benefit of having great joy in our hearts. Eight, the benefit of being aware of Amida's benevolence and of responding in gratitude to his virtue. Nine, the benefit of constantly practicing great compassion. 10, the benefit of entering the stage of the truly settled. According to Shinran, these are the 10 benefits of, Shin, of Shinjin, or the entrusting heart received in this world and in this lifetime. Among these 10, the most significant is the final benefit on the list, the benefit of entering the stage of the truly settled. This passage is often cited to emphasize that the benefit we receive in this life is to dwell in the stage of the truly settled, which is the assurance that we will be born in the pure land at the end of this life. The fact that the direct experience of the pure land is notably absent from this list is taken to indicate that it is not one of the benefits we receive in the present lifetime. What does it mean to dwell in the stage of the truly settled? The following words appear in a letter written to one of Shinran's companions in the Nembutsu and have been passed down in the collection of Shinran's personal correspondence entitled Lamp for the Latter Ages. This passage clarifies what it means to dwell in the stage of the truly settled. Since they dwell in the stage of non-retrogression until being born in the pure land, they are said to be in the stage of the truly settled. It is when one is grasped that the settling of Shinjin occurs. Thereafter, the person abides in the stage of the truly settled until born in the pure land. This passage shows that in one thought moment of other power, we receive the benefit of entering the stage of the truly settled. The rationale for this understanding is as follows. As the saving power and working of Amida Buddha, the words Namo Amida Butsu themselves are the Dharma that fully contains the multitude of virtues of wisdom and compassion that bring about birth in the Pure Land 
and the realization of Buddhahood by sentient beings. <coughs> Therefore, when one receives the compassionate working of the Nembutsu in that one thought moment of Shinjin, the cause for attainment of Buddhahood is fully manifested in the practicer of Shinjin. The absolute fruit of Buddhahood will be realized by that person simultaneously with their birth in the Pure Land. So what will happen to me when I'm born in the Pure Land? This next passage, also from the chapter on Shinjin, from the True Teaching, Practice, and Realization, describes the transformation that occurs when one is born in the Pure Land. In the pure, fulfilled land of the Great Vow, grade and level are irrelevant. In the space of an instant, one swiftly transcends and realizes the supreme, perfect, true enlightenment, hence transcending crosswise. This passage shows that realization of nirvana and attainment of Buddhahood occurs simultaneously with birth in the Pure Land. The realization is instantaneous. Everyone realizes the exact same awakening of the Buddha, regardless of their intelligence or goodness. Now, when, when does birth in the Pure Land happen? Further along in that same section of the chapter on Shinjin, the following passage appears, which is commonly cited as identifying the moment of death as the moment of attaining birth in the Pure Land. Because sentient beings of the Nembutsu have perfectly realized the diamond-like mind of crosswise transcendence, they transcend and realize great, complete nirvana on the eve of the moment of death. According to the traditional reading of this passage, birth in the Pure Land, which is realization of nirvana and attainment of Buddhahood, occurs at the moment of death. In the traditional Nishihonganji appreciation of Shinran's teachings, there is a clear separation between the assurance of Buddhahood that we receive in this lifetime through entering the stage of the truly settled and the realization of nirvana that will occur at a future time in the Pure Land. Thus, the traditional interpretation maintains that it is not possible to assert the realization of nirvana in this lifetime from Shinran's teachings. Much of our orthodoxy is inherited from Denyo, who made great efforts in his lifetime to unify and standardize the practice and understanding of Jodo Shinshu. It is thanks to these efforts that the Nembutsu teaching has been able to thrive and be passed down in our present day. The following passage from the fourth letter in fascicle one of Renyo's letters is often cited in regard to this matter. Question, should we understand the state of being truly settled and that of nirvana as one benefit or two? Answer, the dimension of the awakening of the one thought moment is that of joining the company of those truly settled. This is the benefit we gain in the defiled world. Next, it should be understood that nirvana is the benefit to be gained in the pure land. Hence, we should think of them as two benefits. Here, Denyo is seen to be upholding the distinction between this defiled world where we receive the benefit of dwelling in the stage of the truly settled and the pure land where we gain the benefit of nirvana. So um, I'm just going to kind of break here. Um, up to this point, 
I've been uh, introducing a very standard explanation of the Honganji way of understanding the difference between the benefits we receive in this life and the benefits we receive after we die. And uh, for the most part, um, those sections that I read from the writings of Shinran are essentially translations of information that was presented in this book called Anjin Rondai Oyo, which is um, kind of the outline of Anjin Rondai. This is published by the Kangaku Committee of Honganji, and this is kind of the uh, standard guideline or the authority on the traditional interpretation of Honganji teachings. So I realized that what I've been reading up to this point was pretty dry. And <laughs> Matthew, thank you for <laughs> thank you for your honesty. <laughs> Matthew's like, yeah, <laughs> you think? <laughs> um, and that's because this is this is dry stuff. Um, my teacher, when I was studying this in Japan, said, you know, this is not the stuff of Dharma talks. You know, it's like don't use this in a Dharma talk. He said, like, straight out at the beginning of the class, he's like, what you're learning in my class should not be used in a Dharma talk. It's really boring. <laughs> but it's very important to know this, to understand these principles, so that you don't make mistakes when you give Dharma talk. That was the, 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 the word that he used, don't make mistakes, which was the sense of don't misinterpret Shinran's teachings. And so that's the purpose of this tradition that we have, this Anjin Rondai orthodox tradition is set out and it's based largely on Renyo's understanding of Shinran's teachings. Uh, and it's set out as a way for us to um, maintain a, a, what's considered to be a correct understanding of Shinran's teachings. You know, all the Honganji ministers all over um, Japan, all over the world, um, you know, should have these kind of basic principles of how to understand Shinran's teachings. Um, and uh, you know, over lunch, Shigaraki-sensei was saying, this Anjin Rondai doesn't exist in any of the other schools of Shinshu, which is true. This is something that's unique to Nishi Honganji. It's not present in Higashi Honganji, which is Michael's tradition, and in Higashi Honganji, they don't, you know, they disagree with uh, many of these interpretations. And so um, my task here today is to just to let you know this is kind of where our tradition is coming from. Um, and I feel that this is, um, although it's not Harry Potter, exciting reading, um, it is, to me, is, is meaningful. And that, to me, that goes back to what my, the way my teacher explained the purpose of this, which is to challenge our calculating mind. So it's a kind of intellectual uh, Buddhist practice, a way of challenging your own thinking. Um, which is very difficult, but I think is really at the essence of what Shinran's teaching is about, letting go of uh, what we call hakarai, or the calculating mind. Uh, sensei, how am I on time? What time? In English? Okay, good, perfect. Um, so now what I'd like to do is uh, return to my paper, and I'm, I'm going to endeavor to explain how I find this to be meaningful. Because I, I claim that, you know, although this is a dry material, that um, it is, I believe it is uh, religiously meaningful, spiritually meaningful. Um, and I have particularly have found this kind of difficult uh, or somewhat challenging teaching of when do we realize birth in the Pure Land to be um, a person, personally meaningful thing. So um, many of us 
as ministers, there's, there's kind of a, a question of how do we present this teaching, um, and we have a kind of uh, aversion to talking about the afterlife, and we want to emphasize things, talk about things in terms of this present life, the here and now. Um, I think there's a, a concern that if we start talking about some kind of afterlife, we start talking about after death, then um, you know, we're going to start to sound like Christians or you know, so, some, something along those lines. Um, but I think that there's real, real important meaning in this perspective that birth in the Pure Land is something that occurs at the moment of death or following that moment of death and that to take that perspective seriously um, is a useful uh, or important part of uh, appreciating this tradition for me uh, personally. So when I was studying at the Chuobukyo Gakuin Seminary in Kyoto, uh, one of my classmates was a graduate of the master's uh, program in Shinshu Studies at Otani University, which is affiliated with Higashi Honganji. So Nishi, we have Ryukoku University, Higashi, they have Otani University, and that's where um, uh, Professor Kanwe uh, works. Um, and so I asked him, you know, one night over beers, as you do when you're studying in Japan, um, what is the, you know, have you noticed any difference between Nishi and Higashi? I mean, I was new. This was right at the start of, of the, uh, my studies, and I really didn't have any sense of if there even was a difference, what it might be. So I asked him, have you observed anything different? Are you hearing anything different from our teachers than what you were getting as a graduate student at Otani? And I thought his answer was very illuminating. He said, "In my, my impression is that the Nishihonganji tradition really kind of puts the matter of death at the center, or that one is always uh, encouraged to be mindful of the reality of death when uh, approaching and understanding the teachings. Living with the assurance that birth in the Pure Land will occur at the moment of death, we do not shy away from the reality of our own impermanence. Here in America, we live in a culture that worships youth and goes to great lengths to sterilize death and keep it out of our daily lives. As a result of a cultural shift that has taken place in this country over the past few generations, fewer and fewer people deliver babies at home and spend the last hours of their lives at home. These days, birth and death, the great transforming moments of our lives, tend to occur in a hospital bed rather than at home. In a society that tries to keep death out of sight and out of mind, a teaching that encourages us to be mindful of our own impermanence in each moment of our lives is powerfully countercultural. From a Buddhist perspective, life in this world consists of a complex network of relationships or karmic connections. At the moment when we pass away, these relationships undergo an immediate and profound transformation. At that moment, we cease to be a person dwelling in this world. We will no longer sit down at the dinner table and enjoy a meal with our family and friends. They won't be able to see our facial expressions, touch our hand, hear the sound of our voice, or smell our aftershave. We will cease to be an embodied person in this world of delusion. At the same time, the things we did and said during the time we spent in this world with our loved ones will continue to impact their lives for years to come. There's a continuity that continues to flow 
through the moment of death and beyond. At the moment of death, there is an end to the physical life and the start of a new kind of life. In the Jodo Shinshu Buddhist tradition, the teachings on birth in the Pure Land point to the profound transformation and the significance of that transformation that occurs at the moment of death. In this tradition, it is often said that to die is to be born. I do not believe that we are deluding ourselves or seeking some kind of false comfort. The peaceful and settled state of mind described that accompanies Shinjin awareness comes from looking deeply and honestly into the nature of death. Shortly after I began my ministry in Oxnard in Santa Barbara, there was an elderly member of the Buddhist Women's Association who was living in a convalescent home. She has since passed over to the other shore, but she remains a powerful presence of the Nembutsu in my mind. I'm still unsure of myself at times, but back in those days, I was really scrambling to find my feet as a minister. And as I was kind of looking for someone to turn to for guidance, all of my friends, all of my teachers, um, you know, all the people who I'd really come to consider my sangha and my you know, good teachers of the Dharma were all back in Kyoto. Um, and so uh, I, I was looking for someone immediately you know, right there uh, in my present community. And I was reminded of a saying of one of my first teachers, um, the first Dharma teachers who I encountered uh, studying as a student in Japan many years ago. Um, and he said to me, when you need a teacher, one will appear for you. So uh, over the years, this woman that I had visited in the convalescent home had been a wonderful Buddhist teacher to her friends, family members, and many Dharma school students. From the moment I introduced myself to her, I could tell that the teachings of the Buddha and the life of the Sangha were a really central part of her life since she was a child. Spending time with her, I was reminded of the way that Shinran describes a true disciple of the Buddha as the practicer who has realized the diamond-like heart and mind. Through this Shinjin and practice, she will without fail transcend and realize great nirvana. Shinjin is a heart of abiding faith in the truth of the Buddha's teachings, and I believe that that was the guiding principle of this woman's life. Whenever I visited her, she would ask me how the temples in Oxnard and Santa Barbara were doing. She remembered her old friends in the Dharma, and she always welcomed me as a new friend, curious to learn more about, you, about me. When I think back on our conversations, the phrase that she used the most often was, I'd like to know more about you. She may have been a little surprised that her new Buddhist minister was this Norwegian-American guy from Minnesota. Um, for my part, in her, I encountered one of the great Dharma teachers of my life. I knew her as a person whose mind truly dwelled in the present moment. She was interested in those around her, always smiling and welcoming. Even when she was a little unsure of her surroundings, I never saw her get annoyed or frustrated. In our Jodo Shinshu Buddhist tradition, we often speak of the diamond-like mind of a person who lives with a deeply settled assurance of birth in the Pure Land that will be real, uh, that a deeply settled assurance that birth in the Pure Land will be realized at the moment of death. When I reflect on the meaning of that diamond-like mind, she immediately is the person that uh, pops into my head. She suffered from dementia and was, un was aware that her own mind was changing. She would often say, things are changing. 
when she had trouble recalling a name or remembering the details of an experience from her past. I however, I believe that as a lifelong student of the Buddha's teachings, she deeply understood the truth of impermanence. She seemed to calmly accept the reality that things of the world are constantly changing. And yet, dwelling in this world of impermanence, her diamond-like mind was also in touch with the unchanging truth of the Buddha's wisdom and compassion. She expressed that truth in the kindness that she showed to me and all those around her. In the time that I was able to spend in her company, she showed me what it means to live one's life illuminated by the Buddha's great compassion. She accepted the truth of impermanence calmly and gracefully. She showed kindness and concern for the people around her, regardless of the difficulties she herself may have been facing. The last time I visited her, just before she departed for the other shore, she was surely in a great deal of pain. She had fallen and broken her hip and had been bedridden for several weeks. Nevertheless, from the moment I stepped into her room, she showed great interest in me and her life, and in me and my life, and seemed unperturbed by her own situation. And I've heard similar stories from my colleagues in the ministry. Um, you know, you go to visit somebody in the hospital or in the nursing home, they're obviously very ill, um, but they spend the whole time asking questions about you. You know, how are you? How's your family? How's your baby? Um, and I think you know, many of you ministers or not may have had similar experiences with your own uh, family members or loved ones. Um, and I think that, that this is a reflection of the fact that people who truly hear and internalize this Nembutsu teaching in their own lives uh, are constantly facing death. They're constantly mindful of the presence of impermanence and the permanence of their own lives. So there's no terror or panic when their own death draws near. Death has been there the whole time, and they've become totally comfortable with it. For me, that's the meaning of truly settled. I believe that that Dharma friend who I visited in my early days as a minister understood birth in the pure land as occurring at the moment of death. You know, that's from various conversations that we had with her. It was clear to me that that was her perspective, that when she died, then she was going to be uh, going to the pure land. And that that understanding of birth in the pure land as occurring after the moment of death brought the reality of impermanence into her daily life with a sense of real intimacy, but also with genuine comfort and acceptance. She lived her life as a journey to the pure land. The Buddha teaches us that there are direct causes and supporting circumstances for everything that happens in our lives. While none of us know precisely what the circumstances will be to bring about our death, the cause for each of us is the same, birth. All things that are born into this world of impermanence will inevitably pass away. In the midst of constant change, our lives are an ongoing journey of spiritual growth and transformation. There is no end or conclusion before we die. For one who lives in the Nembutsu, when the moment to cross over to the other shore arrives, whatever his or her life has been, it has been wonderful and complete, just as it was, because it has culminated in the most wonderful transformation possible. In conclusion, I'd like to share a memory of my first conversation with Reverend Gregory Gibbs of the Oregon Buddhist Temple. 
This was August 2007, and I was in the process of applying for my official status as a ministerial candidate. So I was given the opportunity to ascend, attend the Summer Fuken, uh, the minister's meeting in Fresno as an observer. During the meetings, I had picked up on a kind of palpable tension between ministers who favored uh, a more progressive activity in their ministry based on their own personal insights and experiences and ministers who treasured the traditional perspectives uh, and teachings that they had brought with them from Japan. That's 40, I have five more minutes in English, okay, cool. Um, so we're, we're standing in the gym at the old Fresno Betsuin and uh, we're listening to Reverend Nobuo Miyagi uh, rock the mic on uh, singing some karaoke tunes. Um, and as, you know, as we're listening to this, you know, Reverend uh, Gibbs is recounting for me a conversation that he had had with one of his fellow other ministers who was concerned about this kind of tension between the, you know, the more uh, progressive, what we might call insight-oriented ministers and the uh, so-called traditionalist ministers. And uh, Reverend Gibbs said that in the course of this conversation, the other minister had said, you know, we can't just all go off in, in, in all directions at once. We can't go off in all directions at once. And uh, I thought Reverend Gibbs' response to that was wonderful. He said, let's go off in all directions at once, and yet continually return to our common center in the Nembutsu. That's precisely what we need to do in order for the Nembutsu teaching to flourish in this, in this land. Almost six years have passed since then. We continue to have vigorous exchanges of ideas when we uh, gather like this. Thank you. Uh, and I think we demonstrated last night that we still know how to get together and have a good time at our Konshin Kai dinner. Um, and as we seek to understand these great matters of life and death, we look to the words of true teachers like Shindan and Renyo for guidance. In closing, I would like to share a passage from chapter two of the Tanisho, or a record in Lament of Divergences, a brief collection of the oral teachings that Shinran shared with his companions in the Nembutsu. I find these words to be particularly comforting when reflecting on the complex and occasionally controversial matter of how to faithfully interpret the meaning of Shinran's writings. And this is going to sound familiar. If Amida Buddha's primal vow is true, Shakyamuni's teachings cannot be false. If the Buddha's teaching is true, Shandao's commentary cannot be false. If Shandao's commentaries are true, can Honen's words be lies? If Honen's words are true, then surely what I say cannot be empty. Such, in the end, is how this foolish person entrusts himself to the vow. Beyond this, whether you take up the Nembutsu or whether you abandon it is for each of you to determine. So now I will be uh, providing a Japanese, um, Japanese summary of some of the main points of my talk. Um, I'm just going to go grab some of my papers. One second, please.
では、まあ、私がここにあの参加することというのはあの西本願寺の伝統修学をあの紹介する伝統,伝統的な教学伝統的な見教えについての考え方を紹介するという役になっています。そしてあ、まあ、その中であの、まあ、最も問題となっているあの私たちのアメリカ北米海峡区あの海峡活動の中にあ一つに問題としている問題はあのいつお浄土にお浄するあのお浄土という存在はこの今生きている間に実感できる存在または死後亡くなってから死んでからの存在ですかとかこういうのがあのまあ開教師としてはまあ私たち開教師同士でいろいろな考え方もありますしあのどういうふうにこの点を受け入れるかとあのまあよくあのまあディスカッションになるところです。であのまあ開教師のあまあ中ではあのこれをまあ理解するためにあの本願寺のまあ最も伝統的な考え方も理解する必要だという意見もありますのであの私があのそれを発表するあの役割になりましたであのなぜ私があの選ばれたかと言いますと、まあ、あの英語圏の、まあ、若い人であのちょっと犠牲しよ,うせようということあったかもしれませんけどあの、まあ、冗談ですけど。あのまあ、これだけが正しいと私が思ってないですね。あのこれは西本願寺の、まあ、伝統的に伝われてきた、まあ、今日のテーマとしては、まあ、伝統と辞書と一つの伝統的な教えを紹介しようと思っています。であのこの教えはあの現代人にとって例えばまあまあそしてまあ西洋人にとってはあの受け入れるのが難しいとよく言われていますね。現代人そしてアメリカ人はあの今生きているうちの,あのものしかあの興味がないというかあの重要さがないとかとよく言われていますけどあの私にとってこの教えを現代人としてあのちょっと受け入れるのが、まあ、大切なことだと思います。なぜなら私たちこのアメリカの社会はあの死について大変恐怖を持っている社会だと思います。あの例えば、まあ、本来は生まれることと死ぬことは基本的に自分のうちであのすることでしたけど最近は全部まあ病室で生まれて病室で亡くなるという存在ですから。というのはまあ、一つの意味はその死はあの隠したい死はあの、まあ、見たくないそしてその存在はあの病院において私日常生活にあの近づきたくないというところがあったのでこの、まあ、死というものをあの向き合うのがとても大切なことだと思いますですからこの浄土真宗の,あの教えはあの浄,土浄土に往生するというのはあの死ぬ時に行うことはじゃあ死ぬ時が人生の最も大事なイベントになるんですねお浄土に行くのはまあ自分の死ぬ時だから死の存在は常に忘れてはいけないということになるのでこの死に向き合うのが大事,こと大事なことだと思いますのであの
そのお浄土に王女とか親鸞書人の教えは全部今生きてる、まあ、現,現,現在の今生きてることしか解かれない死後の話は全然しないとか、まあ、お浄土はあ死んでから行くということでしたらこの死の存在からあのちょっと、まあ、意識がちょっと、まあまあ、逃げていくという、まあ、一つのところがあるとあいうことだと私が思いましてで,あのですからそういう浄土あのお浄土に往生するのが死んだ時、まあ、死ぬとそういうことが行うのが一つの大事な考え方だと思います。であの私が開教師としての、まあ、一つのエピソードを紹介してあどういうふうにこの、まあ、お浄土は死んでからの存在であるということの大切が、まあ、分,かる分かってくるあの経験があったんです。それはあの、まあ、キベイ2世の、まあ、80歳ああの90歳近くの,あのお,ばあのおばあさんに私があお見舞いにあ行きましたあのずっと私3年ほぼ3年前から開教師になったんですけどその時からあのちょっと、まあ、何ヶ月に一遍はちょっとあのその介護室に行ってあお見舞いすることがあるんですでそれは初めては私が最初こっちに来た時は大変緊張していたんです開教師としての,あの立場に立って。そして自分のまあ師匠とかあの一緒に学んだまあ同級生とまあ仏法の友達はほとんど京都の方に行ってで私こうオックスなどを切ったら友達は周りにいないしあの先生もいないしどういうふうに仏教の教えをもっと深め理解を深めていけるかとあの自分に一つの大きな問題でした個人的な問題で,で一つ覚えたその時覚えたのはあの最も初めて仏教を勉強した時を始まった時にあその一人の先生がなんか先生師匠がいる時に誰かが現れてくると言われていましたでそ,れそのことを思い出しながらこのおばあちゃんのところにお見舞いに行くようになってでこのおばあちゃんは認知症であ,あって大体行ったらあ初めましてオックスナード仏教会の会教師ですと言ったらまあちょっとああ仏教会どうですかみんなお元気ですかと話をしたらであのねオックスナードは仏教会がありますよと言われていましたああ私はその仏教会の不妊会教師ですああそうですかそしてあの、まあ、また繰り返しまた十分間か実はオックスナードに仏教会があるよと言われてでもいつもなんか親切に人に興味を持つような話し方あの混乱したら怒らないしいつも人に親切にしてあげるだからあで、まあ、常に言葉に言ったのはあの Things are changing という物事が変わっているよと言ってて多分自分の無情がよく理解していたと思います自分がもう、まあ、あの常に一つの形で生きていけ、まあ、続いていくのことがないと本人が分かってたと思います。で,でもそのいろいろな壊れの中に変わらないところのも分かってたんです。その変わらないところは、まあ、人にあの、まあ、優しくしてあげるとか人に興味を持つというあの、まあ、私にとってそれは慈悲,慈悲と知恵の存在が常に自分の心にあって。
これはあの信心を受けた方の本腰心あのダイヤモンドのような心だと私が思っていますからその人の生き方はあのまあその人の浄土についての考え方は死んでから行くという世界でしたあくまでもあの私が今から死んでお浄土に行くとあのそういう考え方はまあ口でよく表してたんですけどでも生き方としてはその常に今まで死に向かい合ってたのであの死が近づくとまあそのパニックにならないしあのもう穏やかに死に向かい合えることができてでこれはまあ浄土真珠の支援のとても素晴らしいところだと私が思っています。であのまあ最後にちょっと海教師の中でこういう考え方を生きれる方と、まあ、生,きれ生き得られない方とか、まあ、いろいろなどういうふうにこれを解釈しようという話の中で、まあ、僕が海教師になる前からそういう伝統的な考え方と、まあ、いわゆる自称を強調する考え方の2つの,あのちょっとなんていう、まあ、不一致なあのところがああったと気づいていますけどあの、まあ、一つのあギブ先生の、まあ、先輩の開講師があのみんながあの共にそれぞれの考え方をあの、まあ、歩んでいくけど常にお念仏、まあ、私たちみんな一緒に持っている念仏に戻っていくのはこのお念仏の教えがこのアメリカにあの広めるための大事なことです。だから伝承を実証しながら伝承を強調しながら、実証を強調しながら、共にいろんな方向を向かっていくのが、あのまあ、大丈夫というではなくて、もう本当に必要なことだということだと、まあ、私も思います。で、あの最後に、How am I doing on time?That's seven minutes?Okay, I'm going to end a little early actually. じゃあ最後に、あの診断承認の言葉を頂戴して終わりたいと思います。これは、タニショーの第二章です。ミダの本がまことに大はしませば、シャクソンの説教、教言なるべからず、仏説まことに大はしませば、禅道の恩釈、教言したもうべからず、禅道の恩釈まことならば、法然の王世、空ごとならんや、法然の王世、まことならば、親鸞が申す無念、また、もってむなしかる。べからず、そうろうか。せんずることころ、ぐしんのしんじんにおきては、かくのごとし。この上は、念仏を取りて、しんじたまつ,たまつらんとも、また、ステンとも、めんめんの
恩、恩、計ら,らいなりと、うんぬん、とう、なんまんだ、つなんまん